0: I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation, chapter 1. We'll begin tonight to study looking through Revelation, chapter 1. Well, looking through the whole book of Revelation, but tonight we're just going to look at the first eight verses of Revelation, chapter 1. Just kind of give us a little introduction about what we're going to find uh, as we tour through the 22 chapters. Uh, in the book of Revelation on Sunday nights. Revelation chapter 1, begin reading with verse number 1. When you find your place, if you're able, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter number 1. Verse number 1, and the Word of God says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray for the night's message, Lord, that you would give me the words to say, Lord, that uh, as we look at this seemingly complex book, I pray that you would give us a clear understanding of just what is presented in this book, and what lays ahead for us. Lord God, I ask that you bless the word, give me the words to say, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Of course, as I mentioned earlier today, Revelation is a book uh, that a lot of people seem to want to steer clear from. In fact, it's one that a lot of times I seem to steer clear from uh, some people look at the book, I've had uh, several people tell me that they don't want to read this book and they don't like to read this book because uh, it's scary to them. And they look at the, uh, the talk about the beast coming up out of the water and, and all these different things like that and, and, the, and the dragon. And, and, they, and they look and they say, these things are just too scary for me to handle. And they very well could be, I can understand that. Then other people look and they just say, Well, you know what? It's so, so full of symbolism that I, it's just so hard to understand. And looking at the way the symbols and all are used, I can understand that. But tonight, we're going to begin to read this book and we're going to look through it because I believe that when we do look through it, we will find encouragement, we will find excitement. We will find the holiness and glory of God revealed to us. And when the holiness and glory of God is revealed to us, that brings us closer to him. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The verses that we've just read, as I think about them, they're just exciting to me. So let's just dive right into it. I've divided this evening's uh, message up into three parts really simple verses 1 through 3 we see the introduction to the book verses 4 through 6 we see a greeting and then in verses 7 and 8 we see a preview of the second coming So going without outline of verses 1 through 8, let's begin and look and see what the Word of God has for us in this book of Revelation. By the way, there's several ways that you can interpret the book of Revelation. There are several different schools of thought on how the book should be interpreted the one view is a historical view or i'm, I'm sorry preterist view which uh, they believe it's a historical record of things that happened in the first century roman empire specifically things leading up to the destruction of the temple in jerusalem in ad 70 and so a lot of people think that this book was written prior to ad 70 or probably around the year ad 68 or so and uh the only But uh, there's only like maybe one or two writings that even allude to it. There's still controversy as to whether or not those writings are... Uh, accurate or not as to when uh, it could have been written. So so the Preterist view is surrounded by controversy in that aspect. Another way of looking at it is through what's known as the Historicist view, which is, a, they believe it's a record of church history beginning from the time of the Apostolic period until the present or the end of the age. Then there's the Idealist view, which teaches this is just a, uh, the book of Revelation is just full of the uh, uh, illustration of the timeless struggle between good and evil. Then there's another view in which is known as the futurist view, and it takes that uh, beginning with chapters four through 22 that these are predictions or prophecies of people and events that are still yet to come. And as we begin to look through this book, that will be the view that I take, the futurist view. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you, Revelation, like I said, is a complicated book full of symbols and sort of all sorts of things. So if we come to a passage and uh, you have a disagreement with me, I'm fine with that. We can sit down and we can discuss it and see how we differ and see what we can agree on. Um, and I'm open to my mind being changed about certain things. So, uh, so I'm not really dogmatic on some things that we see. But one thing we do know that we will see in the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming back soon. And that is one thing I believe we can all agree on. Uh, so let's now look at this introduction in verses one through three. He says, "The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass." The first word that we see that pops out is this word revelation. It comes from the Greek word apocalypse, which is the word that we get the word apocalypse from. And when we think of apocalypse, man, we th- because we associate the book of Revelation. With end time events, we often refer to anything that has devastating effects on a certain area or even the world. We look at that and we'll say, man, this will have apocalyptic implications. But the word apocalypse and the word revelation simply means an unveiling. And when we look at this, that is just what we see here. We see an unveiling, a revealing, if you will, about Jesus Christ. He say, what is there that could be revealed or unveiled? Haven't we seen it all in the, in the Gospels and in the epistles? Why do we need another book? Because, well, we've seen his birth, and we've seen his death, and we've seen his resurrection. And we've seen how he has instituted the church and how that he has ordered his church to carry out things. But there's one thing that we haven't seen, and that is Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And that's what we see when we look in the book of Revelation. We see Jesus Christ not just as that babe that came in the manger, and not just as Joseph's the carpenter's son, and not just as the Lamb of God that died on the cross for the sins of the world, but we see all of that, plus we see Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, coming back to establish His reign on this earth. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, and it says which God gave unto Him. And when we think about the phrase which God gave unto Him, it's, it's some people will say, "Well, this is the, this is the what God gave to Him was when He said that even He didn't know the timing of His uh, second coming." And so some people say, well, that's what God is giving him here. But when we look, we still don't see a time as to his second coming. So it can't be that. So what I believe it says, it's talking about when we see a, a God gave unto him, we're talking about the uh, exaltation that God is given to Jesus Christ. In fact, look at the book of Philippians. Chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is what I believe we see fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And John chapter I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2 begin with the verse number 5. He says Philippians 2 verse 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, It took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness a form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And of things in heaven. And things in earth. And things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is exactly what we see in the book of Revelation. We see all things coming to that culmination where Jesus Christ is going to come back. And we see how it's all brought to pass. How that every knee that is on the earth and under the earth. And the things that are that are dead and will be brought back to life at His second coming. We see how all of these will, uh, how all of that will play a part into every knee bowing and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the culmination of everything; it is the consummation of all things in the earth. It says He's given it unto His servants. The things which must shortly come to pass. The servants, those that are Christians, the born-again believers. He has given it to his servants. And by the way, when he's speaking of his servants, he's writing to seven literal churches. And these are churches that at the time of the writing are enduring hard persecution under Roman rule. They're being put to death. They're being slaughtered. The emperor Nero, he would have fun with uh, with Christians, and one thing that he would do is he would uh, take and uh, he would uh, tie him up in the uh, Colosseum there, and he would uh, after he would tie him up, he he Nero the emperor he would dress himself in animal skins. And he would rip the clothes off of these Christians. And he would bite at them and tear at them with his own teeth. Torturing them and and ripping flesh from their bodies. That's just one of the many ways Christians were tormented and tortured. Others, in fact, except for Jude and the Apostle John, all the apostles were martyred in horrific ways. I get them all. I know Peter. He was crucified upside down. I believe it was Matthew that was filleted alive. Well, I know one of them was. Could you imagine the hardships that these went through? And when Jesus is writing to them, he's telling them. He says, "These are your serv- these are my servants." And he's writing to them to give them some peace of mind, knowing that he is still alive. He is still on the throne. He says these are things which must shortly come to pass. Now, in writing that phrase, shortly come to pass, a lot of scholars will, uh, so-called scholars, will automatically jump and say, You see, you can't take the word of God for what it is. They'll, they'll try and say, You see, this couldn't have possibly be uh, true, or you can't possibly trust the Bible because none of these things happened. Well, when we look at prophecy. The prophets, when they would speak, they had no depth to what they were looking at when they prophesied. They could see different events, but there was really no timetable. That's why you see in a lot of Isaiah's writings and Ezekiel's writings, you'll see stuff concerning the uh, second coming of Christ before the first coming of Christ and things of that nature. And so when it says shortly come to pass, we're just reminded that the second coming of Christ could happen at any moment. That we as his children, we as his people, should be ready at any given moment for Jesus Christ to come back. And what a glorious time that's going to be. These things must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That word signified is interesting. It literally means symbols and signs. And that's what Revelation is full of. And that's why a lot of people are trying to avoid Revelation. Because it's so full of these symbols and signs that can be complicated to understand. Now, as we get into it, let me go ahead and tell you up front. When we look through Revelation, we're not going to see black hawk helicopters. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not going to see anything that you have seen in the left behind movies we're not going to we're not we're not going to see uh conspiracies and we're not going to talk about uh uh implants being implanted into the skin those are just figments of people's imagination you say well how can we how, how do you know that's because we're going to take the word of god of what it says and we're going to interpret it uh in light of other scriptures so when people say that there's going to be implants implanted because, well, they're going to, people are going to take the mark of the beast, uh, 666 on their foreheads or on their hands, people will automatically say, you see that's talking about microchips. Where do you get that from? Say because it's symbolic, it's the what's being talked about in the signs. No, listen, we need to understand. Look at what's read next. And uh, I'm sorry, look at what's read in chapter uh, 1, verse number 3. It says, blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of the prophecy of this book and keep those things which are written therein for the times at hand. You know what that tells me? That through the symbols and signs that are used in the book of Revelation, it would have been things that the first century church would have been able to understand and get. They would have never gotten anything about Black Hawk helicopters or microchips being in place. In their hands, Mm -hmm. so we want to deal away with that sensationalism right now, and we're going to look and we're going to see just what it is that when we get to that. But there are signs, there are symbols. In fact, a lot of what we see in Revelation, the book of Revelation, is one of the most. Uh, how can I word this? It'll there's no quotations from the Old Testament. But it has got more allusions to the Old Testament than any other book. And so a lot of what we see that, remember Daniel, God told Daniel, seal up the things that are written in this book. We see those things that were sealed up unveiled to us at this time. And we'll see a lot of the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in this book. Those that had yet to be fulfilled, we will see them fulfilled in this book and how they're going to be fulfilled in this book. So he says he's written, he signified it uh, by his angel, which is a messenger, unto to his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. John was a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in his word. And who better to give this prophecy to than John. Whom the Bible says John was the apostle whom Jesus loved. Then he gives this blessing in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. There's a threefold blessing in that. So many people that stay away from the book of Revelation and don't even try and understand it, don't even try and read it, they're missing out on a blessing that is promised to us by God in this very word. It says, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear. In the early church, they didn't have the uh, copy of the Bible like we have. But what would happen is, Paul might write something, or uh, John would write something, and he would send it to the churches. And the pastor of the church, or somebody designated to do this, would stand up and read this letter that was written to the church. And so this is really a glimpse into a bit of a first century worship service as it is commanded to be read to the churches. And the people are commanded to hear what the word of God says. And the people are commanded to keep those things which are written therein. To guard it is what that word keep means. To, to hide it in their heart and to put it into practice. Which by the way shouldn't just be done with this book. But should be done with all the books of the word of God. That we hear it and we read it. And we hide it in our hearts. That's the introduction to this book. Then we see this greeting in verses 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. This is John uh, announcing who he is. People would have known who John is. He's the last survivor of the apostles says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. And we're going to see what those seven churches are later on. Ephesus and Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Sardis, Thyatira. He says, he begins it like any other letter that you would see. Grace be unto you and peace. And notice who this grace and this peace comes from. From him which is and which was and which is to come That is a reference To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ He says grace and peace To you from him And of course who else Could we expect grace and peace from We don't get grace And we don't get peace from anything else in this life At least not something that Not grace and peace that truly matters But we have received grace From God And we receive a peace Which passes all understanding from God it says which is which was which is to come that's a phrase that we'll see over and over again when we're referring to Christ which is which was and which is to come this speaks of his eternality it speaks of his life and his death burial resurrection and his second coming and it says from the seven spirits which are before his throne The seven spirits could be a reference to that of Isaiah. If you want to write this note down, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, we see a description of the spirit. He gives it in seven increments, a sevenfold spirit. He says in It says in verse number 1 and 2, or it says verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did you catch that? We have the one, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear. So it could be a reference to that. Or this could be a symbolic reference. Still both referring to the Holy Spirit. Seven being the number of completion, perfectness. Simply a reference to the Holy Spirit which is before the throne of Jesus Christ. So is John writing to the seven churches which are in deep persecution, enduring hardness, and during trials, forced to recant of their witness and testimony of Jesus Christ or be facing the consequences. It says in from Jesus Christ, in verse 5, who is the faithful witness. Faithful witness being one that sees everything. One that, that knows and testifies. Can I just stop right there and say, isn't it good that Jesus Christ is a faithful witness for the Christian that sees everything that we do even when nobody else does it now that can be a good thing it can be a bad thing it can be a bad thing is that all those sins that you think you've got hidden all those sins that 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 you can fool the the rest of the people That aren't in your life. He sees that. But. What about the things. That you do for Jesus Christ. That nobody else sees. And is not aware of that you do. All those little things. Like. Praying over your children. When nobody else is around. All those little things, like giving a, giving a homeless person a, a bite to eat that nobody else sees. Everything that you do in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ sees it. Jesus said, he that even gives a glass of water in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he notices it didn't notice else how he described he's the first begotten of the dead speaks of his resurrection isn't it good that we serve a risen savior so many people today are walking around and they're in these other religions and cults and they're serving teachings of a dead god or a dead teacher but folks, we're not following a dead teacher. We're following a risen teacher who has given us his word and he lives in us. He lives amongst us. He is everywhere. Watching and encouraging through his word, through the Holy Spirit. It says he's also the prince of the kings of the earth. He's a ruler among rulers. In fact, he is the, we'll learn later, he's described the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Unto him, John writes, unto him that loved us. Must stop right there. Jesus Christ. Has just been described as that faithful witness, the one that sees everything about us, even the dirty, nasty parts of our lives. He's described as the first begotten of the dead, a resurrected Savior who has the approval of God on him, of God the Father. He is the Prince of Kings, he is a ruler of all the earth. And to think that this faithful witness that sees everything, this mighty, noble ruler of all things, can look down upon us and we can say with truth and honesty, He loves us couldn't you imagine being one of these Christians involved in hard tribulation. Being torn from your family. Being tortured on a regular basis. But yet still knowing that the almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords loves you. And he is watching. It says... He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's our salvation. Notice our salvation doesn't come from any good deed that we do. Our forgiveness isn't based on any good act or merit that we have accomplished. But our salvation is purely by the shed blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world by washing us from our sins in His own blood. Those persecuted Christians, as they look at the blood that is being shed before them, through their friends and through their families, they're being reminded that that is just a small price compared to what Jesus Christ went through. Verse number 6 says, He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Kings and priests. 1 Corinthians talks about how God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Those things that are not wanted, those undesirable things. And he's taken us as undesirable wretched sinful human beings. And he's made us into something beautiful and wonderful. What does he make? Kings and priests. We will rule and we will reign with him. We don't have to go through a any other mediator but we can come through god through jesus christ because we are our own priests says he has made us kings and priests unto god and his father so it says to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen that should be our praise song to him while we were dead in our trespasses and sins to him while we were uh sinful and rebellious to him when there was nothing desirable in us to him when he came into this world and saved us from our sins washed us from our sins cleansed us in His own blood, to Him who has made us kings and priests, not because of anything we have done, not because of anything we deserve, but of His love and mercy, it is to Him that we give honor, glory, and praise to Him and Him alone. We have accomplished nothing, but He has accomplished everything. And He finishes that sentence off just simply, Amen. What more can you say? So let it be. That's the greeting that he gives us. These seven churches. That are facing hard persecution. What excitement they must be feeling. What love and joy. And then to top things off, he gives them a preview of his second coming, verses 7 and 8. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The, the word behold says is basically just uh, John saying, Look! He's getting our attention as if he's saying, look, there's something great that's going to happen. We're out here and we're facing persecution. We're facing trial and tribulation. But look, he's coming in the clouds. Amen. He is going to come back. That phrase coming in the clouds, you would often see that associated with the glory and the power of God. He says he's coming in the clouds. Jesus Christ, the king of kings, God made flesh coming in the clouds. When Jesus was on this earth and uh, the disciples in the book of Acts, chapter 1, they were standing and Jesus, it says that after he gave the commission, he ascends up into the cloud, into the heavens on the clouds. And as they're standing there gazing up at what they just saw, the angels come and what do they say? What are you standing here gazing at the clouds for? What are you doing looking up in the air? Don't you know Jesus, who ascended, saw show come in like manner? Just as he went up in the clouds, he's coming back in the clouds. What a way to begin this wonderful book. He gives encouragement. He is coming. He is coming back. But look, this could be words of encouragement to the faithful Christians that are out there. But he says, every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. Which could be a reference, I believe, to the Jewish people. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he told them, he says, Hey, he says, it was your fathers that put Jesus Christ to death. This is a reference to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. When they see Jesus Christ comes back, according to Romans chapter 11, there's going to come a, a national repentance and they will turn back. To Jesus, And they will turn to him as the Messiah. They'll know then that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. But then he says, And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. This speaks of the Gentiles that have refused to accept him. That word wail means to mourn. They will mourn at the sight of... Of Jesus Christ. You see for us Christians. Will rejoice. At the sight of Jesus Christ. But not these people. They're going to mourn. Why? Because at this moment. They will know. That they have spent their entire lives. In rebellion. And rejection of Jesus. And it's then. With tears in their eyes. Knowing their fate. Philippians 2 will be fulfilled. Every knee should bow and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And with that being said. He says even so amen. It's as if he's saying. I've been facing persecution and trial and tribulation." Because he has, he's on the island of Patmos for preaching Jesus. All the people that he's writing to have faced trial and tribulation and hard times. So when Jesus Christ comes back, he says, even so, amen. He will close it out with the same phrase, even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse number 8. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. An Alpha and Omega. He says the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. He closes out this introduction by describing Jesus as the first and the last. Jesus. No beginning, no end. He is eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has no beginning and no ending. Because he is the beginning and the end. It says, which is, presently speaking, he's alive. Which was, in the past he was on the earth. In the past he came. As a baby born in a manger, he came as a humble servant. He was a carpenter's son, worked with his hands, never did anything wrong, but died a sinner's death, which was, but now, which is to come. Not a baby. Not a carpenter. Not even a sacrifice. But when he comes back, the Almighty. God in flesh returning to this earth for his children. And the book of Revelation will go and describe in detail all those things. And how they're going to occur. Can Revelation be a hard book to read? It can be. Can Revelation be a confusing book to read? Oh yeah. But can it be a blessing to read? More than you'll ever know. So we stand to our feet for our final. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.